Well, it's always great to be with you here at Connection Point, and I want to thank Pastor John for the opportunity to teach one of the messages in this current series that we're on, on the kingdom of God. It's so great to be with all of you, and I hope that you're doing well through this difficult year that we're in. I'm going to be looking at a number of scriptures with you today in this message, so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 13, which will be where most of our scripture texts come from today in this message, Matthew chapter 13. You know, on December 31st, when the New Year's Eve activities were going on, I turned to my wife Candy just a few months ago, New Year's Eve. I turned to my wife, Candy, and I said, you know, 2019 has been a really rough year, but I said to her, I really have a great feeling about 2020. Boy, it's going to be a really great year. Hey, I really nailed that one, didn't I? Actually, it's been a really, really rough year, hasn't it? 2020, what a year. Racial strife, economic problems, the pandemic, health issues, Um, all kinds of political fighting and so on. It's been such a chaotic year. I remember Bob Dylan once said in an interview, chaos is a friend of mine. And you might be saying right now, yeah, I got a lot of those friends right now in the year 2020. Chaos indeed. It feels some days like a thick fog has just settled in over all of us. Maybe you feel that way when you get up in the morning, just kind of like everything's kind of foggy. Do you remember what happened in January? The basketball star Kobe Bryant boarded a helicopter along with his 13-year-old daughter Gianna and several other passengers. They were flying to a youth basketball tournament. The helicopter was a high-end model, nothing wrong with that. It had a reputation for safety. The pilot was an experienced pilot, he was reliable. VIPs wanted him to be the one to fly them around, so there was no problem with the pilot. And the sky was blue when they first took off, but then a thick fog settled in, and the pilot became disoriented. At one point, he thought they were going up, but they were actually plummeting toward the ground, and tragically, all nine people on board the helicopter lost their lives in the crash. You know, it's dangerous when you can't see where you're going. And it's deadly if you think you're going up and you're actually going down. The foggiest place in the United States is at the mouth of the Columbia River in Washington State. It's a place called Cape Disappointment. What a name for a place to live. Can you imagine living in Cape Disappointment? It averages 2,500 hours of fog every year. But maybe you feel like you've been living in disappointment throughout this year. You may have been disappointed by a lost job or a health problem. You may have had to postpone a long-awaited vacation or a graduation. Or maybe you had to have a private funeral instead of a big celebration of a loved one's life. Disappointment is like fog. It clouds our vision and dulls our joy. Maybe you've been facing the fog of fear and worry. Candy and I love our three granddaughters so much. Two of them are teenagers. One of them is three years old. We love them so much, but I have to admit, we've been wondering what kind of world they're going to face as they grow up. Somebody said fear, F-E-A-R, can spell either forget everything and run. Maybe you've been feeling that way. 
or face everything and rise. What a challenge to decide which we're going to do. Lately, fear and worry have been settling in on us like a thick fog. And then there's the fog of anger and hatred. I remember when I played basketball in high school, the coach warned us to keep our tempers under control because he told us, and it's true, it hurts the team if you get a technical foul. In football, it can ruin a good drive if you get a penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct or unnecessary roughness. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of unnecessary roughness going on in our culture right now. Tensions are high. And rage makes us do things that are very foolish. I read this the other day. Somebody did a little twist on the serenity prayer. And they said, maybe you've heard the first part of this. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the wisdom to change the things I can, and some coffee before I punch somebody. Maybe you've been feeling that way lately. Well, if you want to do something really countercultural today, love God. That's really countercultural. And love your neighbor well. That will really make you stand out because anger and hatred are settling in on us right now like a big, thick fog. Then there's also the fog of religious confusion. You know, it's really not helpful when Christians act like hypocrites and argue and quarrel among ourselves. People need us to be the light of the world cutting through the fog right now. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, as Jesus told parables about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, one of the stories that he told, one of the parables that he told was called the parable of the weeds. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So now there were weeds and wheat all growing together in the field. So the workers came and they asked the farmer, do you want us to just go and pull out the weeds? And he said, no, don't do that because when you pull out the weeds, you'll also pull out the wheat. He said, let the wheat and the weeds grow together until the harvest. And then when it's time for the harvest, then we'll sort out the weed from the wheat. Now Jesus used this story to teach us something that there will be true believers intermingled with fake ones in the kingdom. That's the way it appears. There are always going to be some weeds among the wheat. And I don't know whether I can always tell. Jesus said not to judge in a human way. Only God can do that because eventually God is the one who will separate the wheat from the weeds. That's his job, not ours. Now, there's another story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 that makes almost the same point. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a large fish net, a large net that pulls in lots of fish, all kinds of fish. And at the end of the day, the fishermen sort out the fish. The point is the same. Our job is to be faithful. In the end, God will sort things out. Meanwhile, don't lose heart because Christians disappoint you. Bob Russell said, just because someone plays Beethoven badly doesn't mean Beethoven was a bad composer. And just because someone lives the Christian life poorly doesn't mean Jesus isn't worth following. One other thing that fogs things up and clouds things up is the fog of a faulty worldview. Now, worldview just means your mindset or your perspective. It's like when you put on sunglasses that color how you see things. 
Now, Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 12 when he said, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, he said, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. In other words, garbage in, garbage out. What's inside of us, what's in our hearts and minds determines what flows out of us. If our minds and hearts are corrupt, if our worldview is wrong, our perspective will be off. If we see life as just an evolutionary accident, that's very different from the biblical worldview that sees every human being as created in the image of God. If you think that all roads lead to the mountaintop, that's actually dangerous because some roads will lead you over a cliff. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We need to think about our perspective, our worldview. If you believe that the purpose of life is merely to have a good time, that's different from the biblical perspective that true joy and fulfillment come when we live for the glory of God. So to cut through the fog, what Jesus is saying here, it has to do with the kingdom because Jesus is saying we have to choose between the chaos of self and the kingdom of God. Which of those will we choose? Now, Jesus had a lot to say about the kingdom of God, and in Matthew's gospel, it's often called the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus started preaching in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it summarizes his preaching by saying, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This was the essence of Jesus' message. Now, I know that the word kingdom might seem a little strange to you. Maybe the word kingdom makes you think of a castle or even Disney World and the magic kingdom, you know. But listen, King Jesus doesn't live in a castle far away, and the kingdom of God is not a fairy tale. The message of the Bible is not a myth or a fairy tale. And actually, it actually is a very serious and wonderful thing to think that God's kingdom means that God is present and he is in charge. He is reigning over the world. The world is his. In Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. As I was preparing for this message after John asked me to talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, I just took a little post-it note and I wrote these words on it, and I put it on my desk at home so that I look at it every day. It says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Remember that from the Lord's Prayer? God, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I need to think about that. I need to think about that. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. For God's kingdom comes when we do his will. And we all need to recognize that when we all make up our own rules, it's going to lead to chaos. It's like in the book of Judges. If you remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, it talked about a time where it says everybody just did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Well, that's chaos. It's every man for himself. But when we realize that God is in charge and he truly wants what, be what is best for us, it clears away the fog. So, making it very personal, this means for me and for you, every day I need to ask myself, who's in charge of my life? Who's in charge of the world? Am I in charge or is God? I have to choose between the kingdom of God and trying to run my own little kingdom. 
Now, I actually thought how ridiculous this sounds. You could call it the kingdom of Dave. If you think that sounds silly, and it does, just put your own name in there. It sounds silly, the kingdom of Dave. Let me tell you, the kingdom of Dave is pretty chaotic. I didn't realize how chaotic and how selfish I could be until I got married years ago. And then when I started living with another person, I began to realize just how ridiculously selfish I could be. When it's time to take out the trash and I lay back so my wife has to do it, there's a struggle going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Dave. When I need to listen to my wife and not just have her listen to me, there's a struggle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Dave. When I make decisions about spending money or how to handle a frustrating situation at work, how to handle myself and my relationships with other people, I have to choose between the kingdom of God and the chaos of self. And let me tell you, the kingdom of Dave is not a very impressive kingdom. Let me tell you a little story. When Candy and I moved back to Indiana from Ohio over six years ago, I went to the Motor Vehicle Bureau to get my Indiana driver's license. Simple thing, took the test, passed it. The worker behind the counter made me take off my glasses and she took a photo of me and she looked at the photo and said, ooh, that's not good. And she discarded it and said, we need to take another one. I thought, well, okay. So she took a second photo of me, but the second one is so bad. Let me tell you, anytime I wanna make my wife laugh right out loud, I just pull out my driver's license and show it to her. She laughs, it's really a terrible picture of me. It looks awful. I showed it to my own mother a few years ago and she went, ooh, she kind of cringed and said, ooh, my own mother. And remember, this was the second photo that they took. How bad was the first one? So I looked across the counter at the woman at the Motor Vehicle Bureau and I said, this picture is really embarrassing and now I have to put up with it for four more years. And the lady looked across the counter at me and she said, oh no, in Indiana, your license is good for six years. Oh, great. So for the last six years, I have been looking forward to renewing my driver's license and getting a second chance to get a new picture of myself to go on that driver's license, a new photo this year. And sure enough, this year, the Motor Vehicle Bureau sent me a postcard and they said it was time to renew my license. I have the postcard here. But because of the pandemic, they were closed. So I had to do it by mail. And here's what the postcard says. So the BMV will use your last photo on file for your new driver's license. Six more years of that same ugly picture. Let me tell you, the kingdom of Dave is not a very impressive thing. So much for the kingdom of Dave. But God's kingdom never, ever fails. You know, to have a kingdom, you need three things. You need a king, a territory, and laws. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is the king. The basic confession of the Christian life is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is our king. You also need a territory, and God's territory extends to the whole universe, everything, physical, non-physical, spiritual. He's over it all, and that includes our own hearts. And then Jesus summarized the laws of the kingdom when he said to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus was talking about this when he said in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom, not the kingdom of Dave, not your kingdom, not the kingdom of self, not the chaos of self. Seek first his kingdom 
his rule, his reign, his lordship in your life, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Putting God's kingdom first actually cuts through so much of the chaos to pray that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I love what it says in Colossians chapter one. The father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in, look at this phrasing, in the kingdom of light. Talk about something that cuts through the fog. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's the way it describes what it's like when you're outside of Christ and you're just kind of in this fog of sin and selfishness. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So God moves us from the fog, the dominion of darkness, into the kingdom of light. And in that process, the Lord provides some specific things for us that clear away the fog. I like to think of them as spiritual defoggers. It's kind of like the defroster on your car windshield. You know, you turn it on and when you have fog or ice on there, it just clears it out so that you can see. Well, we need those in this foggy, dark culture we're living in. So one of these spiritual defoggers that clears away the fog, it's a rather obvious one, is the bright light of scripture. I mean, trying to navigate through life without the Bible is like trying to pilot a helicopter in a thick fog. You can't tell whether you're going up or down. I love what it says in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. I'm so thankful for God's word. In these difficult months we've been going through in 2020, I've found so much solace, so much peace, so much encouragement and challenge and strength in particular verses of scripture. Read them in light of what's going on today and it just helps to anchor your soul in God's solid truth, rock solid truth. We need to trust God's word like a pilot trusts his instruments. When you can't see where you're going, you can trust God's way, that he knows the way forward. Now, another thing that cuts through the fog is the treasure of prayer. Now, it's easy to take prayer for granted, not even realizing what a treasure prayer can be. If you had never heard of prayer before, what if I told you the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created this entire universe, who set the stars in place, he is your heavenly father and he wants to hear from you. He wants to, you to talk to him. You can talk to him anytime, anywhere, about anything. And God will listen. He wants you to ask him for advice, direction, and wisdom. Now I know it's not easy always to understand what God is saying to us or how he answers prayer. I know that can be mysterious, but it's worth the effort because the rewards of prayer are great. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Can you imagine you go out into a field and you're, you're digging for buried treasure and you find a treasure hidden there? What a great analogy. And Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, this is more important than all the other pearls, better than them, he went away and sold everything he had 
and bought it. He's saying that God's kingdom is such a, a treasure, it's, it's more valuable than anything else. Nothing else compares with it. You could invest in lots of different things. The pearl merchant could gather all these other pearls, but when he finds this one, he's like, wow, nothing compares to that. And Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. God's kingdom is a treasure. No one can steal it. No rust can erode it. And then I love this verse. Maybe you're not familiar with this. There's a little verse tucked away in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. I really like this. At the last part of this verse, Jesus said, a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, there's that kingdom mentioned again, a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, I really like that. Jesus uses an interesting analogy here when he talks about a storeroom and going into the storeroom of your house. See, in Bible times, people had a little secure place in their homes, a little closet, a little storage area, maybe a whole room if they were wealthier and had a bigger house. They had places where they would keep their valuables, like coins or jewels. You remember the time when Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in, earlier in the book of Matthew, he said, when you pray, don't go out into the streets and stand out there so that everybody will be impressed and you'll earn the applause of other people because they're looking at how righteous you are because you're praying to be seen by men. He said, don't do that. He said, instead, go into your inner room. Now, in one of the older versions of the Bible, the King James Version, it says, go into your closet. When I was a kid, that was confusing to me. I was picturing myself in my closet, you know, with clothes hanging down and a basketball there and other things, squeezing in among the, the things in my closet. But it was just, he was talking about a small treasury that you had in your home, a, a secure place where you kept your valuables. Go into a place where you could be in secret with God. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're just alone with God. And that little inner room, that prayer closet is a store room, a spiritual powerhouse that contains new treasures as well as old. It's where the true treasures of life are found and cultivated. When Christ is living in you, your heart becomes a storeroom for spiritual treasures. You remember in Luke chapter two, it talks about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And twice in Luke chapter two, it mentions how Mary treasured up things in her heart as she reflected on it, what she was observing with the birth of Jesus and the growing up years of Jesus. So I love this verse. Jesus is saying that when you're a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, you're like the owner of a house and you can find in that spiritual storehouse, that, that place where you pray, that place where you secretly meet with God, you can find there new treasures. So you discover new aspects of grace and truth, new, new lessons. And maybe this year you're being taken to new depths of faith in your walk with God, new treasures, but you can also find some old treasures. In those moments of prayer, and as you study God's word, you'll find some time-tested truths that have been around for a thousand years. Or maybe you've known all your life, but you can rediscover them in the treasure house of prayer. So let me just ask you, as we go through the chaos of this year and all the troubles that we're going through in our world, are you tapping into the treasure chest of prayer? If things seem foggy, have you done the most basic thing and ask God for wisdom. Read James chapter one. God invites you to ask him for wisdom. He delights in saying yes to that prayer. And have you asked your friends to pray for you? Have you asked 
your friends here at Connection Point to pray for you. The treasure of prayer helps to clear away the fog. Now, in the kingdom of God, another thing that clears away the fog is the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a great analogy because Jesus himself used it. Remember in John chapter 3 when he was talking with a man named Nicodemus? And he told Nicodemus that, you know, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again, born of water and the Spirit, he said. And Nicodemus was puzzled by this, and Jesus used this analogy. Jesus said, well, the wind blows where it pleases. You can hear it, but you don't know where it's from or where it's going. And he was using that to illustrate what the Holy Spirit is like. The Holy Spirit is like a fresh wind that blows away the fog. Remember the promise of Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It's a verse that we often quote. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, both sides of that are so important. Forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the forgiveness part for a moment. I, I have a pressure washer at home. It's one of my favorite outdoor tools. Oh, this thing is so good. It's one of my favorite tools. I can take that pressure washer outside. If my sidewalk is stained or there's some, some algae on the deck, on the wood in the back of my house, I can just put that high pressure water on there and in a few minutes it'll strip away all the dirt and the stains and the algae and everything else. When we accept Christ, he spiritually pressure washes us. He cleans us up. His forgiveness is complete. The old, ugly stuff gets stripped away by the grace of God. And there's so much of that in us. I read the other day about a young man who, who said his mom and dad were upset with him. They were concerned because he was reading the Bible so much and they were concerned that he was gonna get brainwashed. And the young man said, mom and dad, if you knew my thoughts, you'd be happy I was getting brainwashed. Now, I know there's a bad kind of brainwashing. We're not into that in the church. But the fact is, sometimes our minds could use a good scrubbing. It's true. Forgiveness is such a great gift. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and we confess our sins. He is faithful and just, and he forgives us. The blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us, purifies us from all unrighteousness. But not only do we have that gift of forgiveness, but we also have the blessed gift of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in any time, but especially right now in these hard times. Did you ever try to drive a car with the emergency brake still on? You can go, but something keeps dragging you back. Something keeps holding you down. That's what it feels like without the Holy Spirit. Scripture says in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and we need his help. Maybe you say, well, Dave, I don't feel the wind of the Spirit in my life. I just don't feel the wind. And then my question to you is, well, have you opened the window? Have you invited God to fill you with his Spirit? Things can really get stuffy when you're closing off your heart and your life to the Lord. Maybe it's time you open the window. Somebody wisely said, we don't need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs more of us. So in the chaos, are you choosing the chaos of this world or the kingdom of God? If you're afraid, have you asked the Lord to really give you peace through his spirit? If your mind is fogged up by jealousy, anger, lust, greed, laziness, open the window. Ask for the spirit's help. Cooperate with God. God usually doesn't override the human spirit. He loves to cooperate 
with us when we choose to do his will. I know it'd be great if every time a bad thought pops into your head, just zap, God makes the thought go away. Or you're angry at your spouse or on the verge of saying something really bad and zap, mind control from God. <laughs> a lustful thought pops into your head, zap, mind control from God. But most of the time it doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. We're not robots. We can choose our thoughts and our actions. Most of the time, controlling our thoughts isn't mainly about determination. It's more about surrender. It's making that choice to get out of the fog and let God's word guide us and his spirit lead us. I don't know about you, but I realize in my life, I don't just need a little tune-up. I need a whole new engine, a whole new engine in my life. When we surrender our minds to Christ, we become new creations. The Bible calls this being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So let me ask you, if things seem foggy, have you been surrendering your thoughts to Jesus Christ and asking him to fill you with his spirit. The Bible says, this is a matter of choice, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And I love this passage from Philippians chapter four. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God's spirit wants you to think about those things. He will help you. The fresh wind of the Holy Spirit can help us break through the fog. And so will the clarity that other Christians bring. That's another thing about the Christian life is that we're not in this alone. And when we have other Christians with us, helping us, speaking into our lives, a lot of times they can help us cut through the fog. Have you ever been driving in a fog and it was hard to see your way ahead, but there was a semi-truck ahead of you? And because that vehicle was bigger and it's farther along in the journey, you can follow the taillights and you can make your way safely because there's somebody bigger and, and farther along ahead of you. That's the way it is in the Christian life. We all have blind spots. We need guidance at times. But people who are wiser, people who are closer to the Lord can guide us and help us to find the way. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the wise listen to advice. That's why we need, even in these times of separation, and when we can't even come and be together in the church building, it's, it's still so important to stay connected whatever way we can with one another. There was a yard sale in my neighborhood the other day. We had some things that we wanted to sell, so Candy and I went out in the garage and we put a few things out, sold a few things, and we found these old clay pots, flower pots, that we'd been keeping in the garage. I didn't really want them there. The pots were in my way, but I kept them there in the garage because I thought my wife Candy wanted them. And then as we began to discuss it, she said, no, I kept them because I thought you wanted them. Truth is, neither of us wanted these pots and they had been in both of our ways for a long time. We were making assumptions about what each other thought. So we ended up communicating about it and we sold the pots for 25 cents each. You know, one danger of this pandemic season that we're in is that when we're away from each other, communication can break down. We make assumptions, and suspicions grow, tensions grow. We've got to find ways to stay in touch, folks. It can be through phone or Zoom or email, but we've got to stay connected. Things get foggier, our minds get foggier 
when we are isolated by ourselves. We're like logs in a fire that burn brighter when we're together. Other Christians can bring clarity to things. So God gives us scripture to guide us, prayer to refresh us, the Holy Spirit to indwell us, and other Christians to encourage us. There's one more thing that clears away the fog, and I call that the beacon of hope. The beacon of hope. You know, if you're on stormy seas, you need a lighthouse. You need a beacon to show you the way to safely get to shore. And let me tell you, right now, we are in stormy waters. But Jesus is still the light of the world. During this pandemic, maybe you've been waking up in the morning and just feeling like you're in a fog. Well, can you imagine waking up one morning and you feel no guilt or shame, no weariness and exhaustion? You wake up in the morning and there are no aches or pains in your body, no worry and anxiety in your mind, no relational conflict. You wake up in the morning and there's no fear of the future, no money problems, no disappointment or depression, no insecurity or isolation, no lovelessness or loneliness. And let me tell you, folks, that's what's ahead of us in Christ. He is our beacon of hope in stormy times. How easy it is to forget that. One time I was worried and stressed, full of anxiety. I was pouring out my stress to my wife, Candy, and she just looked at me, stopped me in my tracks, grabbed hold of my hands, and she lifted my hands up like this, and she said, Dave, look at your hands. I did. And she just said these words, God's hands are bigger. Well, she's right. In Isaiah chapter 49, It talks about the hands of God. God says to his people, Israel, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And then listen to what God says. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. (laughs) When we place our lives in God's mighty hands, he already sees us. We're already engraved there. He's got your name your identity engraved in the palm of his hand. And as we know from scripture, that palm has a nail scar in it too. A friend of mine has been visiting his dad who has Alzheimer's disease. Because of the pandemic, when he goes to the nursing home, he has to visit his dad through a glass window. My friend says it reminds him of the scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, now we see but a poor reflection, but then we shall see face to face. It's a beautiful picture of the beacon of hope that is the future in Christ. It reminds us that the fog won't last forever. Someday the sky's gonna clear. The barriers will be removed and the despair will melt away. Folks, Jesus is risen, the King of Kings, The king of kings is on his throne. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, in these times of stress and strain, in times of chaos and confusion, fill us with the peace that passes understanding. Let your holy word be our guide. Let your spirit be our strength. 
Let other Christians be our encouragement and let us be encouraging to other Christians as well. Dear God, our earnest prayer is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.